some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. With a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is the Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. Presented by Renters Warehouse. And here we go. Straight up, 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 1045The Zone. Happy Friday to you here in the Music City. My name is Jason Martin. You can find me on Twitter at jmartzone. We've got a busy show. We've got Murphy Fair. We've got Tom Duggan talking high school football. We've got Jeff Schwartz in the final two segments by good buddy from Fox and ESPN. And the Jeff Schwartz is smarter than you podcast. We'll talk everything NFL, including, I mean, he went to Oregon. So I'm going to talk to him about Mariota, and we'll talk a lot about the Thursday night game. But let's do that here, as I know we don't have a bunch of lengthy segments. I don't have the time that I need to adequately describe what a putrid experience watching that football game was last night. And I'm an onlooker. I'm a guy who covers this team locally. Didn't grow up in this market. I'm a Denver Broncos fan. But as you kind of get more into sports media, it seems to drown some of the fandom out of you across the board. I'm not rooting against the Tennessee Titans it's hard to when you're around a lot of these guys and you respect a lot of these guys and they come in through the building and you want to root for them. You want to see them do well. Well, they didn't do well last night. In fact, they haven't done well this week. And this is not some bombshell piece of information from me, but you heard this show on Wednesday night. Some of you didn't like it. A lot of you seem to actually agree with me. I told you the verdict is in as far as I'm concerned. We are not dealing with a hung jury here. We don't need more evidence. We might not have 100% certainty, but it's beyond a reasonable doubt at this point that Marcus Mariota is not the guy. But if you read my piece that I wrote last night around midnight at 1045thezone.com slash Big Six blog where I'm the editor-in-chief, I do these Big Six takeaways pieces from these games. What I talked about first was the offensive line because, I mean, you know, it hit theaters a couple of weeks ago, right? American Horror Story 1984 debuted this week on FX. But the worst horror show, and look, Halloween, we're about to get to that month. We're about to get to October. But the worst horror show that I've seen in quite some time is Calais Campbell versus Jamil Douglas. Because that, ladies and gentlemen, was about as one-sided as it could possibly get between one football player and another. Calais Campbell brutalized Douglas to the point where they took Douglas off the field And Marcus Mariota had absolutely nowhere, pretty much whatsoever, to go. He had nowhere to go, and he had no time. The offensive line's a problem. But Marcus, throw the freaking football away. Get it out of your hands, please. Taylor Lewan, you remember what I said before the season? I said, and I got it wrong in terms of saying, look, if Taylor plays, I could see him beating the Browns. Outside of that, I don't think they do. I think they go one and three in the game that they win is against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Well, wrong. They beat the they beat the Browns even without him. 
Then they lost to Jacoby Brissett, and they lost to Gardner Minshew. That leads to national types like Bill Simmons tweeting last night that the Tennessee Titans in a wide-open AFC South have the fourth-best quarterback in that division with two backups currently playing. And I would say probably fifth because I'd take Nick Foles over Marcus Mariota right now. Not right now today with a broken collarbone. But we've seen enough on this. I mean, there are still people making excuses. I know he's likable, but it doesn't matter. This football team right now, with Marcus Mariota at the helm of it, is not good like at all. It's not all on Marcus, but enough of it is on Marcus for me to say, and increasingly I would say for many of you to say, all right, there's enough on Marcus that it's almost enough of Marcus. Like we've seen enough. I told you, and this look, you might think this is corny, but I think this is effective as well. I said, I was looking at trying to come up with nicknames, and usually I'm not this guy, but Marcus Mari Noda, eh, nah. Marcus Mari Throta, eh, not really. But I think he's Marcus Mari, oh, as in, oh, that, that's just who this guy is. Alan Bell, 24-7, who you've heard on this show and you hear on 3HL Weekly, he basically said, and we, we started talking about this last night on Twitter, if things aren't right for Marcus, he's not going to win. That's that's exactly right. Like, if everything around him is not perfect, Marcus Mariota's going to lose more than he wins. He's still ridiculously inaccurate outside the numbers and even in that five-yard range. I mean, and I can sit here and I can talk about Mariota, but I've only got a couple of minutes left in this segment. So can, can we talk about the head coach? Horrible week for Mike Vrabel. I know that these PI challenges are not generally going to work because the officials don't want to admit that they got a judgment call wrong. Pride is a real thing in this world, folks. So I can sort of understand the philosophy of not blowing a timeout by calling a bogus challenge. But I think I would have risked it last night at the very least in that game just to give it your all. The optics right now on Mike Vrabel are not good. And it begins with the Dory Jackson being allowed to field punts. He never seems to want to do it. You still need him on defense. And his judgment is the very opposite of impeccable. That's one of the reasons you drafted him was to be this kind of game breaker on special teams. And he's been a game breaker, all right. He broke that game wide open for the Jags. He gave them the 7-0 lead that this defense can then take to try and bludgeon you to death. When they get a lead, they can be really difficult to deal with, them meaning the Jaguars, because of that defense and the ferocity. Even with Jalen Ramsey and all of the just nonsense surrounding that team, they've got a six-round quarterback, rookie, in Gardner Minshew that looked more poised, more confident, and was throwing dudes open and was throwing to the proper shoulder and was throwing dimes out there last night. I don't know if Nick Foles is going to see that field even when he's healthy, if this continues. Now, we've only seen a couple of games. But if you've got a fifth-year guy and you're considering, oh, he's still the guy, you've lost your mind. You have, you have lost your mind. Vrabel didn't draft him. John Robinson, that's not his guy. They're not tied to him. If he goes to Atlanta and plays badly again and they're 1-3 coming back here and those seats are 65% full, it might be time to get a look at Ryan Tannehill. I mean, what's what's it going to hurt? You're not going anywhere anyway. If you're in the AFC and you're not the Chiefs or the Patriots, you can pretty much hang it up this season. I mean, maybe the Ravens or maybe somebody like that can be surprising, but ultimately we're getting Chiefs and Patriots in the AFC title game, right? 
and then you could take your pick in that game, depending on where it's played and who's healthy and all sorts of factors like that. But right now, utter disaster for the Tennessee Titans. Inexcusable loss on Thursday night football against a team that you shouldn't lose to. And in a wide-open division where all of these games matter, you're now 0-2, and you've lost to Jacoby Brissett and Gardner Minshew. That ain't very good. Do I need to say anything else? I wish I had hours to take your calls and go through this. We will get back into this in a little while when we bring on Jeff Schwartz in the third segment of this program. But before Jeff also, Murphy Fair joins us in the next segment. We will break down a big week in high school football. Also, Jeff Schwartz, final two segments talking NFL football. Right now, before we get a break, we bring in our good friend Tom Duggan, DTC3.TV. All right, Tom, week five, high school football. We're getting into the nitty-gritty of the season now. Some of these exhibitionist kind of matchups are out of the way. So where is your crew at tonight? You know, you're absolutely right, Jason. We are in Woodbury tonight. Uh, the Region 4-3A race is about to heat up. And the Cannon County Lions, they have not been in the in the football playoffs, state playoffs, since 2009. They are hungry to get back there. They've got a tall order tonight, though, as the Upperman Bees come to town. Now, Upperman, they're coming off their first loss of the season and that was a tough one last week against the Livingston Academy, who's no slouch. That's the number 10 team in the state in Class 4A. But Upperman, they're a mad bunch of bees coming in to take on the Lions this week. 3-1 and one overall on the season. Now, Upperman, they've got a very good veteran offensive line, and they've got a dual-threat quarterback in Donovan McAllister. This Upperman team, they've rushed for a total of 947 Ooh. yards and 12 touchdowns just through four games alone. Wow. They're averaging 26.5 points per game. But get this, Jason. This defense has pitched two shutouts. They're allowing only 7.5 points per game. This Upperman team is for real. They're going to be a 3A contender. Now, Cannon County not riding them off tonight. They, they've, they're really succeeding and thriving under Matt Daniels' wing T offense in his second year there. This should be a good one. And the Cannon County folks, they're really fired up to have their lines back on the map and contending for a playoff spot this year. Now, for the folks out there tonight, you can go online to DTC3.TV, that's DTC, the number three, dot TV, and you can watch our telecast free of charge. It'll be J.R. Smith, the coach Chris Vance, and myself. We'll have the call of Upperman and Cannon County. Like you said, these exhibition games, they're all said and done. It's time to get to the meat of the schedule, and these region games are going to mean a whole lot. Love your broadcast, Tom. Love love the energy and everything that you bring as well. DTC3.TV is how you can catch that free live stream here in just a couple of minutes, they'll get it started. All right, Tom, hopefully it's a barn burner tonight. I will catch up with you in a few weeks. Jason, I also want to send congratulations out to you on your impending marriage you. and uh, wish you the very, very best. Thank you so much. That's why you won't hear from me next week, but you'll join Chad Withrow, and uh, I'll talk to you in two weeks uh, as That's long good. as I survive. All right, Jason. Big Six, up next, Murphy Fair here on 104.5 The Zone. So. Six here on this Friday, September the 20th, 2019. I'm Jason Martin, your host. You can find me on Twitter at jmartzone. We are brought to you by Renters Warehouse. They're dedicated to helping homeowners benefit from the rental boom by renting their homes the easy way. Renters Warehouse, you can't buy happiness, but you can rent it. Happiness often looks like a pigskin in the fall, and even though the temperatures have not looked like the fall, looks like the dew points are finally dropping, but the scores are going up, especially in high school football over the last couple of weeks. We welcome in Murphy Fair. He always joins us in the second segment every Friday on the program. 
Murphy, I know this was not the game you were at, but Ravenwood 61, Pulaski Academy 47, 11 combined touchdowns, I think around 1,150 total yards. This is like watching Steve Spurrier at Florida versus Chip Kelly when he was at Oregon. Certainly not right now at UCLA, but this was amazing. And there, there have been a lot of high scores, as a matter of fact, over the last few weeks in high school football in Tennessee. Well, it's been it has been nuts for sure, and, and you expect that maybe the first week or two uh, for defenses to kind of catch up with offenses, but that obviously was not the case on uh, Wilson Pike over in Williamson County last week. I got tickled listening to Chad and Chris on the scoreboard show because they didn't know if that game would be over by eleven o'clock. Or yeah, not. you know, every time every time they'd come back from a break, there'd been three more touchdowns scored. Yeah, there was a whole lot of talent on that field. I watched a little bit of, of it on TV, and I had somewhere to be. So the fact that it was still on when I got home, it's just like, really? Like, how long is this game? But I guess if you're kicking the ball off over and over again and all the things that were going on, there were some spectacular breakaway plays in that game. So Ravenwood wins it. They stay undefeated, and now they're playing Brentwood tonight. That's 4-0 versus 3-1. and That should be a really, really nice football game here in week five as we continue to move along in the high school football season so i think so without a doubt a lot of fans i think thought both teams would be undefeated going into tonight's ball game and i think a lot of the outcome of tonight's game uh hinges on how well brentwood bruins bounced back from last week's 21 14 loss at 5a henry county i think a lot of people thought uh, uh brentwood might be 4-0 as well but uh Henry County got back into its winning ways. And uh, if, if anything, maybe that gives uh, Ron Crawford's team a little uh, revenge, if you will, because they beat Ravenwood during the regular season, only to see Ravenwood return the favor 47-24 in the quarterfinals of last year's 6A playoff. Yeah, and I think maybe the key to the game is going to be the DBs and the secondary for Brentwood having to deal with a quarterback that only has one interception to 11 touchdowns this season for Ravenwood. Brian Garcia playing really high-level ball, and that's going to be a tough matchup for Brentwood. But it could be close, and it should be very well attended also. That's always something we try to pay attention to. I don't know because, you know, I haven't been able to get out to any games. The games that you've been at this season so far, Murphy, how has the attendance looked in terms of where we're at right now, maybe to where we were a couple years ago? I think it's been excellent. I really do. And, and one thing you can count on at the public schools in Williamson County, the student population turns out in mass. Uh, they have a great time. Generally, there's a theme, whether it's a, a beach party or whatever, and uh, uh, it's not unusual to see baby powder being shaken uh, throughout the stands after a touchdown is scored. The, the kids really get into uh, uh, cheering on for their, their favorite football team and it's uh, it's very refreshing from my point of view to see loud la- uh, large student crowds in high school football games like they have in Williamson County well looking at ones that are acronyms the way that they're usually described one of these acronyms won a state championship and then lost a whole lot of talent and you knew it was going to take time to build back but 0-4 CPA hosting 4-0 BGA I mean they just graduated so many people did CPA that it was going to take some time to try and rebuild this thing, but this is going to be probably a really difficult evening for CPA, despite the fact that, again, this one should be very well attended and both schools are always well represented in the seats. CPA is playing better than it was playing four weeks ago, but 
when you lose 31 seniors, uh, that's a that's a tough act to follow, so to speak. And a lot of kids that didn't necessarily see a lot of playing time last year are frontline players for CPA. Uh, CPA beat BGA twice last year, 31-20 in the regular season, 41-21 in the Blue Cross Bowl. Uh, CPA, uh, you know, has got its back to the wall, but I still think when it's all said and done that the Lions will be in the playoffs, but mm. they'll have their hands full with a very good BGA team. Uh, under first-year coach Jonas Rodriguez, who turned the program around at ECS in Memphis the last couple of years, he's a Nashville native who played at NBA, coached there, and at Innsworth both. Uh, he does a great job wherever he is, and I look for that one to be a little bit one-sided. Murphy Fair, our guest here on the Big Six, joins us to talk high school football in the second segment every Friday here on 104.5 The Zone. Murphy, last week, Gallatin's just having quite a season, and this is kind of a weird way to bring this up because Mount Juliet lost but only held uh, – their defense played well, though. Uh, Gallatin only scored seven points in the game, and Mount Juliet's under 500. They're one and two, and they're playing against an undefeated Wilson Central team but there's interesting history here, Murphy, in that if Wilson Central wants that fifth straight win, they've got to beat Mount Juliet, which I get that. I know that's logical, but they haven't done that since 2008. It's been 11 years since they've been able to beat Mount Juliet. So a lot on the line, I would say, just for pride on top of everything else. And Mount Juliet has a pretty good defense. You know, if you look at numbers alone, Jason, uh, it looks like Wilson Central's a shoe-in to win that ball game. But if you're a player for, for uh, Wilson Central and you've never beaten Mount Juliet, you can't help but wonder what's going to be going through the minds of those teammates as, as they take the field uh, tonight because, like you said, they haven't beat them not only in, in the last three years, but would you say eight or ten? It's been 11. Uh, it's been since 2008. That's pretty one-sided. Yeah. Juliet won 21 to seven last year. It was rather close, um, and it's both of those teams right now are tied with Hendersonville at one and zero in Region Four. Uh, Hendersonville playing zero and one Lebanon tonight as well. But uh, the emotional side of the game, and you never know what's going through the minds of 16 and 17 year olds. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that one turns out. It's at Mount Juliet. And uh, maybe that gives the Golden Bears a little bit of an edge that they might need to make that one closer than you might think. Springfield and White House, three and one. Springfield, three and zero. Oh, White House, another good one. Like there are a lot. Like we talked last week. Last week was still sort of not exhibition, but it's a bunch of non-region matchups that are enticing for entirely different reasons. Now we're starting to get into the nitty gritty, and we're seeing schools that are a little bit more familiar with one another. This one, another example of a game that could and probably should come down to the wire. It would appear that way when you look at the at the records that you just mentioned. Uh, new coach Ryan Hamilton, who's been a coordinator at White House for the last several years, has got his team off to a great start. But when you look at the teams that they've played, Jason, those three teams that White House has defeated, collectively their record is 1-10 in 10 right now. So they haven't really been challenged. This will be... Uh, one of their bigger challenges of the year, certainly White House Heritage, will be another tough one. Uh, but I think Springfield probably goes into the game, even though they've got a loss. Uh, I can't help but think they go into the game a little bit of a favorite. But uh, with it being played at White House, that kind of evens things up a little bit. And I would hope to see a huge crowd at that ball game. 
Murphy, when we were talking earlier this week, you mentioned this this other matchup, and it's one that's a little off the beaten path that maybe a lot of people are not paying attention to. And you you mentioned it, and I immediately thought, yeah, we definitely need to talk about this. And so Fort Campbell is playing Fort Knox this week. So I just I really just want to give you the floor and let you explain why this is so meaningful. It's far past just the football game and the score and who wins. There's There's a lot to really pay attention to just in terms of just the sheer importance of a game like this. Explain why. Yeah, and we usually don't talk about games out of state, but this is one is one that I thought was worth mentioning. It's one that a lot of fathers and mothers of uh, football players on both of these teams will have to watch this on the tube, if you will, across the pond because it's the there are the only two Army installations in the United States that still have an on-campus high school. Uh, it's a it's a great setting to go to the Fort Campbell uh, Army bases band and Fort Campbell High School's band generally perform together. It's a beautiful turf stadium, as you might imagine. Uh, Fort Campbell has dominated the game. I was able to go back the last 15 years, and uh, Fort Campbell has uh, has put some big points on the scoreboard when Fort Knox comes to town. But it's not really necessarily about who wins the ball game. It's just the atmosphere that goes with it. And so many parents of the players not being there because they're out there serving our country overseas. Uh, it was on my bucket list, and it was well worth the trip to uh, to uh, the base in order to see it five or six years ago. And if you don't have uh, a game of choice tonight, there's uh, still time to get up there and uh, catch that one. It's very, very special. All right, Murphy, you're the best. Enjoy the games tonight. Enjoy the results. I'm sure there'll be some surprises. We'll be talking about it here in a couple of weeks. I will not see you next week uh, as I'll be out of town, but I'll be back in a couple of weeks and refreshed and ready for the stretch run here in high school football. And just in case people don't know, you're going out of town so you can get married. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I appreciate that very much. Appreciate our time together as well. And, uh, We'll, we'll talk to you in two weeks as long as I survive. Sounds like a plan. All right. That is the great Murphy Fair. We will be right back. Jeff Schwartz joins us for the remainder of the program. We will talk NFL football as week three is upon us. That's next here on the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. Zone. to the Big Six. Our thanks to Murphy Fair. Always talk high school football with him. Second segment on Fridays, and we'll catch up with him in a few weeks. Some good matchups around the region tonight, to be sure. This is the Big Six. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to helping homeowners benefit the rental boom by renting their homes the easy way. Renters Warehouse, you can't buy happiness, but you can rent it. Right now, the Tennessee Titans don't seem to be able to buy a win. You heard what I said off the top of this show. It's the same thing I said on Wednesday. Some of you didn't like it. I've said it for two years. Marcus Mariota is not the guy. We bring in an Oregon Duck that is one of my guys, my good friend Jeff Schwartz. He covers the NFL for everything under the sun. He also has a brand-new podcast, which you should check out, called Jeff Schwartz is Smarter Than You. I'm not going to assess the validity of that statement because I don't know you, but I do know Jeff. Jeff, what's up this morning? How are you? <laughs> you you do know a lot of yous, and uh, it's been a fun podcast so far. The point of the title was obviously to get attention and draw people in. So, some people are like legit upset about it. Like, I'm smarter than you. How, how dare you be so arrogant? I'm not listening to your arrogant podcast. And I was like, okay, well then don't listen to it then. Okay. Congratulations. I was, wasn't counting on your list anyway. So, but thank you for letting me know. 
Yeah. Well, when I saw the title, I said, yeah, I mean, that's that's going to create controversy because people can't read between the lines and just have a little fun, bit of fun with it. But I've enjoyed it so far, and I, I don't know whether or not I consider you smarter than me or not. It depends on the topic. But when it comes to football, I certainly do cede to you. So last night, Thursday night football, look, you're an Oregon duck. You knew Marcus Mariota long before we were paying attention to him on any kind of real level in this market. But I've said for years, I just don't think this guy is the long-term solution. And I think that the city is finally starting to wake up to that. There were some odd circumstances surrounding this game, but I can't deal with the plethora of excuses that follows him. I know the offensive line was bad, but ultimately Marcus Mariota has lost to Jacoby Brissett and Gardner Minshew in one week in a wide open division. What did you see last night? You know, the offense just feels very limited with, with Mario under center, right? It feels like an offense that is only designed to play from ahead, right? A lot of play action passes, a lot of naked, a lot of really one or two reads. They're not really dropping back and, and being a very, you know, precision, precise, accurate pass game. They're not asking Mario to do a whole bunch of reading the defense. Um, and that offense works great when you're playing the Browns and you're ahead and or at least the game is close and you're not playing from behind. I mean, there's just no sense of urgency with the offense, and um, it's uh, it's sad. I like Mariota, but he just hasn't done it yet. And look, I mean, I, I guess you can go like full-on Baltimore Ravens offense, but that's really not sustainable, I think, in the end. So it's just tough to – I don't know what the Titans do. I think after the year, you move on um, and you try to find yourself um, another uh, another – quarterback and uh you start over again because i don't think he's your guy i think there's no way you can watch him play the last couple of weeks even last year i think to yourself he's a guy another thing too you know we we blame mariota for all uh, the offensive line for all these sacks a lot of these men mariota's not getting rid of the ball oh yeah he just has bad pocket awareness and it's just been ugly man i feel kind of bad for that offensive line because of um of all the um the grief they're going to get but it has not been all their fault would you consider putting in Tannehill just to see what he's got at this point? Or I, the way I look at it is if he goes down there and lays another egg, he meaning Mariota in this case, goes to Atlanta next Sunday, lays another egg, and they're one and three. Do you think it's time to at least take a look at Ryan Tannehill at this point? I mean, what could it hurt? Well, here's the problem with that. And I tweeted this out at Jeff Schwartz. You actually go, uh, can go find it. Yes. Um, is if you go and make that move and go to Tannehill, you are admitting mm -hmm. that the Mariota experiment experience is over. Yes. Like, there's no going back in the other direction. Like there's no going back to um, to someone else. So if you make this move, it's with the knowledge that Mariota is no longer your quarterback, and there's no future for Mariota. On you know in in Tennessee on your team uh, because you know you, you you're you're just not going to to make that move and then eventually go back to him. Right? I mean now, now you might at some point this season, but basically you're admitting that he's not your guy. Mm -hmm. You don't trust him. So I think if you look at that and you look at what the Titans are thinking as far as those sort of lines, I can see why they're being very hesitant to move on from Mariota because if you do. That's it for him. And are you really going to move on from a quarterback after three games of a season? You obviously hope you can get better. Plus, 
look, the Titans are not in a position to win the championship this season. I think we, we understand that right mm-hmm. now. You, you, as a Titans fan, that might not be something you want to hear, but this is a year where you do have to evaluate Marcus Mariota for the entire season. And so I understand why they're not going to Tannehill. Um, there's no reason to, really. you got to hope Mariota can work through this and find a way to just become a better quarterback, and that's your hope if you're the Titans. So I don't think they're going to make the move to Tannehill until they have really determined, hey, this is it for Mariota on our team. Holding penalties. I saw you and your brother last night within seconds of one another. <laughs> Tweet, basically, you can't be serious that that's a holding or a variety of that statement. We knew going into the season, we talked about this when we were filling in for Clay on OutKick, and I've talked about it on this program a couple of different times after this story was released, that this new emphasis league-wide on holding because a bunch of defensive coaches started balking and saying, hey, can you please start calling holding more? So now they're looking for any excuse to do it. This is not making for particularly inviting football as holding penalties are up huge in the first three weeks of the season. Are we going to see some level of regression here back to the mean, the way that you have with some of these other, I don't know, penalties or infractions or changes, and then they finally kind of figure them out? Or is this just more the new normal? Well, what's really interesting is that uh, the second half, almost no holding calls. Mm -hmm. So it felt like they decided at halftime, because Mike Purr went on national television and said, guys, this is getting aggressive. Like, this is is too much. Too much. And uh, when he did that um, at halftime, and you had had Tom Brady tweet out that you can't watch the game because of the holding calls, um, that type of influence – will change the way um, games are called. And it felt like the second half, whether through just the referees deciding, hey, we've had too much, Um, or a league office called down, said, hey, guys, a little too much, whatever the reason is, Um, they stopped calling in the second half. Uh, last week they had a record number of holding calls. And what I mean, there had to be at least eight in the first half or more. All the time, and yeah. And they're and, and and they're so atrocious. I mean, look, I, I I'm very much ca- I'm very cautious about blaming officials for issues because I think it's a very tough job and it's um, it's almost tougher now with social media and slow motion replays. Um, but guys, no one wants more holdings and. and the, the defensive coaches, by the way, wanted one type of block called more often. That was it. One type of block. And instead, the NFL has gone way overboard and made a bunch of different changes to, to, you know, to, to a lot of these. Um, to a lot of these. And just it's not been good, um, and I hope it fixes. Now, look, I bet a bunch of unders, so it's great because the under keeps hitting because you keep having holding penalties. And, and right. That, that, that bring drivers back. But I, I got to think they're going to hear all the griping about it and find a way to make some changes. Was it surprising to you? I guess maybe it shouldn't be at this point. We should just know this is all this guy does when or all he's thinking about outside of his family. But it was surprising to me that Tom Brady tweeted about it because that revealed that Tom Brady was watching Jaguars-Titans on Thursday night football. I would have never thought Tom Brady's like the dude there eating, you know, slivered almonds watching a Thursday night football matchup of two teams he's probably not going to have to deal with this season. But I guess at this point, 
Tom Brady wants to play till he's 50, it looks like, because he doesn't know what else he's going to do with his life. I guess he just loves football. Now, we were watching a game. I don't have no I had no rooting interest in that game. I'm watching a terrible game between two teams I don't care about. I mean, we I love football, man. I mean, a lot of us love watching football. We just we can continue to watch football as much as we can. <laughs> um, and uh, and look, but I'm telling you that that and even Troy's been mentioning it. He goes, "That tweet will get the attention of the NFL." Yeah. And it did. And it did. Um, and so um, it was uh, it, that will change things, I think, and we'll see. I mean, look, I'm telling you, dude, there were there were there were some bad holding calls last week. I mean, they had one Joe Staley that was just atrocious. We saw the one last night on the Titans uh, wide receiver on Ramsey. And yeah, just, the Tajay Sharp play that was horrible. So bad. I mean, like, come on, guys, no one wants this. And defensive coaches, you know what? You 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 get what you ask for. You ask for more holdings, and, and now you get them, and now you don't want them, of course, right? So. Um, it's not. It's not a function of offensive linemen aren't very good anymore. Or the practice. You know, a lot of people are blaming Tony Dungy blaming practice times, uh, practice reps. No, it's not. In this case, it's not. And, I, and I, I've been banging that drum for a while now, but not in this case. NFL has just decided to go out of their way to call on these. Just going to stick around for the final segment of the week here on the Big Six. You don't want to miss it. He's at Jeff Schwartz on Twitter. The podcast is Jeff Schwartz is smarter than you. Assess the validity of that statement to yourself. We'll be right back. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Final segment of the week. Welcome back. Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. Joined by my good pal. You hear me with him a lot on Fox Sports Radio. Jeff Schwartz played in the NFL for eight years. Host of the Jeff Schwartz is Smarter Than You podcast. He's on Twitter at Jeff Schwartz. How do you feel right now if you're Nick Foles on the sidelines wearing those Weezer Rivers Cuomo glasses last night watching Gardner Minshew not look like a sixth-round rookie? I'm not saying he's Aaron Rodgers. I'm saying he was throwing some beautiful-looking balls, and he seemed to have a ton of confidence, a ton of poise. And then after the game, one of the most affable dudes, like he's like a perfect kind of interview. Everything about that guy says – he would be great for the league for him to be a superstar. And this is Nick Foles we're talking about, not Tom Brady watching this. Foles has to be maybe at least a little bit concerned watching Gardner Minshew in terms of how much playing time and how fast he's going to come back from this. Um, yeah, I I think that um, he's got to be a little worried. Now, he's been paid, so that obviously is a plus. right? He's got his money, which is great because he deserves to get paid. Uh, but obviously he wants to play. So here's the thing about Gardner Minshew. We, we've had two. We've had two games, right? Yeah, he didn't so. play terribly well against the Texans. He played. He played okay. Like Twenty points, and and I guess Westbrook dropped that touchdown, so it should have been more points. It should have been you know like you know, twenty four points. Um, that that's not really a lot in the NFL. <laughs> um, and so he's played okay, um, but he doesn't push the ball downfield very often. Um, and let's just like give it some time. I, I don't really have a great answer for what he, if he's going to be the guy yet or not. Well, but we um, don't I believe think... in Foles, though. You and I both have been on this the whole time that Foles is more a backup quarterback than a starter, and one that's not well, going to win you a ton of games either. Well, well, no, I, no, I, I think he's. I, I don't think he's he's Super Bowl Nick Foles, but I think he's better than Blake Bortles. Like I, oh, I think sure. he'll, he'll win. You, like I think he'll. Like, I think he can win you football games. I just. I think people think that he's going to come into Jacksonville and be what he was for the Eagles, and that's not the case. But we saw, look, he had an amazing throw, the one he got hurt on against the Chiefs. It was a great throw, I and mean, that's what I expect from him. 
I don't expect him to, you know, to put up the numbers he did in Philly. I don't think he's worse. I don't think he's a backup quarterback, um, but he's not what people, I mean, want him to be. So, um, but look, it's with Gardner Minshew, man. Is you know, it's very rare for a quarterback drafted outside the top two rounds to really be successful in the NFL, right? And, and we see that we see that often, right? There's you know, there's a Wilson and a Brady and a Dak Prescott. Otherwise, all these guys are drafted in the top of the first two rounds, and so. Um, it would be unlikely for Gardner Minshew to become a, an elite superstar in the NFL. Even then, you could argue that you know that Jared Goff is not a superstar and Dak is not a superstar yet. And Russell Wilson obviously is. Um, uh, so you know there, there's work to be done. But yeah, if you're Nick Foles, you probably have to be like, oh, I just I don't I, I can't catch a break, right? I play well in Philly, and then Wentz comes back, and I finally get my chance to be a starter, and then I break my collarbone. Jeff Schwartz, I guess, here on the Big Six. Jeff, I have Dallas and Kansas City. Actually, you mentioned Dak Prescott. I've got them in my Super Bowl. I had that before the season. Watching Dak Prescott right now, and I've seen you kind of tweet and break this down, but I know our audience really hasn't had an opportunity to to hear it from you. But how good is Kellen Moore for Dak Prescott in terms of the offense that he is running being tailor-made to play to Dak Prescott's strengths? Yeah, I have um, Dallas and New England in the Super Bowl. Um, so we're, we're taking a light there. I mean, look, the Chiefs, and it's, it's interesting. We talk about parity in the NFL. I'll, I'll, I'll get back to the, the Dallas in a second. We talk about parity in the NFL. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but the AFC this year, there's no parity. It's, it's going to be, it's two teams. um, it's going to be New England and Kansas City and AFC championship game. Just, you know, matter that week 14 game might be the game that determines who gets home field advantage in that, in that AFC rematch. So the Cowboys, um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited for what Kellen Moore is doing. He's he's designed an offense that really fits what um, what Dak can do best. A lot of play action pass, uh, a lot uh, a little bit of RPOs, um, but just a good rhythm with the passing game. Finding a lot of open areas in the field, easy throws for Dak. Using his legs um, when uh, in the kind of high leverage situations, third down, which is very important. They've done a good job with getting him out, out of space and doing that. Um, you know, the run game is almost secondary now, right? The, the, the offense has run through Dak Prescott, which I really, really like. And um, third down to me is where I see the most improvement and just the most excitement. Because third down is the money down. You, know, so you have to be good on third down. And we're seeing Dak Prescott just be very confident on third down. He is uh, dropping back hitting his back foot, and letting the ball go. And he knows exactly where he's, where he's going with the ball. And that, to me, is the biggest thing I take away from the first two games. Look, they played no one. They're going to beat Miami this weekend by 85. Um, but um, I just think the confidence on third down is what's been really impressive for me for Dak. What about Lamar Jackson? We weren't necessarily backing the idea of him being some kind of a long-term answer in Baltimore, but Harbaugh does seem to have an offense that's making sense for Lamar Jackson right now. He's got a tight end that's catching things all over the place. He's got Marquise Brown going for 144 in his first ever NFL game. Lamar Jackson, I mean, the Ravens are undefeated right now, and they're about to have a test on Sunday against the Chiefs. I think we're going to know a lot more about Baltimore coming out of that game than we do right now. But regardless of who they've played or whatever else, if you're Lamar Jackson, you should be puffing out your chest right now because you have played excellent football. He's played excellent football. But, you know, to me, there's a thing with with, um, 
Lamar Jackson's offense is, um, you know, against you know the Chiefs this weekend. If the Chiefs put up 24 points, 27 points in th- through three quarters, and the Ravens are down, you know, 27-13, let's say, is, is that offense good enough to come back? Like, like, is that offense set up enough to play from behind? Because so far they played from ahead, and they really weren't that great against the Cardinals. They put 23 points. Um, and they've played two terrible teams so far. So my thing is, I just feel like the offense is is just is set up to play from ahead all the time, and and they're not going to always be ahead. And how can they come back in some of these games? You know, we saw the Chiefs, for example, down ten nothing after a quarter against the Raiders and scored twenty four, you know, twenty twenty eight points in a quarter. Now that's extreme, but I trust that offense to come back and then do things. So I just think that offense is limited as far as one style they have to play. So. Uh, Lamar's done a really good job in that in that type of offense, but again, I don't think it's very sustainable. Um, and you play two very bad football teams. The Chiefs' defense, run defense, not very good, um, but the defense as a whole is playing better. So we'll see what they do this weekend because you know they're going to be behind uh, at some point. And are they good enough to come back uh, on the road when they're behind? Because you know the, the Chiefs or the Patriots will end up with home field advantage. All right, Jeff. It's always fun to talk to you, my friend. I'm gonna. Head out for a couple of weeks. This is actually the last segment of radio I'm going to do for the next, I don't know, week and a half, almost two weeks. But I know you're doing about 800 things. I will listen to your podcast. That may be one of the only things that I listen to um, while I'm down in Florida. But uh, the Jeff Schwartz is smarter than me podcast is a favorite in my household. <laughs> are you Are you, uh, Are you? you ready? Like, you, you a little anxious at all? I'm not. A, I mean, anxious might be a fair word just because I want to get to it. I want to get to Sunday. Yeah. We're ready. I mean, once you know and once you've got everything set up, this week's been a little tougher just sitting around waiting, honestly, because it kind of feels like you're in purgatory before, between where you want to be and you're saying goodbye to a life. Things have changed. Like last night, I made a salad and a uh, Atkins lasagna, and that's the meal that I lost all the weight on, and that's the, the meal that I would sit there frustrated trying to figure out my job status and trying to figure out, you know, is someone going to walk into my life? Is this woman actually out there somewhere and going through all of these different things? And last night I took a photo and I sent it to my fiance. I sent it to Abby and I was just kind of like, this is the end of an era. This is the last time that I'm going to make this meal in this capacity sitting here in my place because it's going to be our place at the end of the weekend. And this meal, which led me to you, which led me back to God, which led me to a lot of different things. Uh, it's, it's kind of, it's not bittersweet. It's just like you are literally walking from one life into something almost entirely different. Yeah. And you're, and because you kind of have done it more traditionally where you haven't moved in yet. And like, I, I, like we, we lived together. My wife was pregnant at the time. We we did the backwards of everything. We were like, all right, come on. Like, let's just, let's, let's do this. We get, her own insurance and let's like let's move on <laughs> like it was yeah. like we had everything already there so i understand i have a lot of fun it's gonna go by fast like you'll be at the end of the night like wow this is uh this went by fast but it's the most fun you're ever gonna have with all your friends and family together at one point and uh congratulations and uh, just enjoy it man it's a lot of fun all right jeff we'll catch up with you in a couple of weeks always a blast my friend all right take care bud all right that is jeff schwartz you can find him on jeff schwartz and of course Find the Jeff Schwartz is Smarter Than You podcast through the Athletic Network. All right, that's it for me, guys. Appreciate Murphy Fair joining us. We will talk to you in a couple of weeks. Appreciate all the well wishes. 
Vols Gators tomorrow. Jonathan Schaefer in for me. He'll join Joey Kent. They'll have a great Tennessee tailgate show. But uh, Chad Withrow, football Friday night and Friday night final. Stick right here. I will see you in a couple of weeks. I say it off the top. I'm blessed beyond measure, all reasonable and otherwise. Never more than this weekend. I cannot wait to stand in front of everybody important in my life and pledge everything I've got to this woman that the Lord brought me. I just can't believe it looking up and and seeing what is to come because Abby you are truly one in a trillion and I will be telling you that every day for the remainder of your life I'll see you in a few weeks guys clear eyes full hearts can't lose God bless and good night from Nashville